Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Fizz Radio on the score 1260, back in your life on this lovely Saturday as Syracuse prepares to take on Liberty in the Dome, the only non-conference opponent of the weekend, or excuse me, of the season. Gil Grossi and Unsworth with you. And uh, Ian, I got to be, you know, you got, you can't sugarcoat it. Br- brutal this honesty is, time. Brutal honesty yeah. time. Let's get right into it, Gil, right into it. I mean, hey, it has there been a more gloomy feeling Syracuse football game in recent memory? No. The only thing that's perked my week up has been the fact that basketball practices have started. That's and a all. lot of that has to do with, well, okay, the, but how much of that has to do with DeVito? Uh, most of it has to do with the Syracuse quarterback situation. No DeVito, probably for the rest of the year. Oh, so tough to look at for if you're a Syracuse fan. It's it's another year that just feels like we're tossing it away. We're tossing it away. One of those wait until next year situations. That's what last year felt like when DeVito was on and off the field. Now that DeVito's surely off the field, might as well just wait for next year. I feel like a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. <laughs> Who should start at quarterback? All the coverage around the injury and the Liberty game. You can find it all on orangefizz.net. But for now, Ian... Um, man, Syracuse doesn't have a good second option here. This is not, this is not one of those scenarios. You felt good about Eric Dungy in his senior season. You know, that, that magical 2018 when the Orange win 10 games and you feel like Eric Dungy can run free because Tommy DeVito is behind him. And that was such a nice feeling that I hope nobody took for granted because not all programs have that luxury. And right now, Syracuse is in this position where Tommy DeVito is out for the season most likely. The reports say that, I mean, it's not it's not as if that's official, but it's seeming really almost 100% likely. Um, and it's just, we know that Rex Culpepper is not the answer. He's unproven. We know that. He's unproven. No, he's a fifth-year senior, but he's unproven. He's started one game of his collegiate career. I don't really see it that way. I don't think he's unproven. I think he's proven. I think he's proven to be not the guy. Well, that, that's, as, that's, that's a very eloquent way of putting it, yes. <laughs> Look, he's, uh, he's, he's attempted a lot of passes, all right? I mean, he's thrown for over 500 yards in his career. He's got three touchdowns, four interceptions. It's not like we've never seen Rex Culpepper take a snap. We've seen it. And I think if, if you read about him, if you read about not only his, his fight against cancer, which, which he, he kicked you-know-what in, but also just what, what he's like as a person and what an elite human being Rex Culpepper is. All that aside, he does not have the arm talent to really push the ball forward in the ACC. And that's just a demoralizing way to, to start, especially when it's not like you can look at the Syracuse rushing attack and just be like, okay, well, let's just pound the rock. Sean Tucker's Sean Tucker's just not ready yet to pound the rock. And Rex Culpepper has never been ready to throw the ball. Rex Culpepper never makes that set. Well, that dime down the sideline last weekend to Taj Harris. 
He did complete that touchdown pass against Pittsburgh, but we don't see something like we saw last weekend on Syracuse's first drive of the game. That the arm talent, you're right, Gil, it's just not there. I'm honestly, I might be in favor of just letting Culpepper play game or two, get his licks in, and then throw a young guy out there. This may seem very early. I might be jumping to conclusions here, but if we're really preparing for 2021, if DeVito comes back, he might be out again. That that's my that's my thing with DeVito. If he can't stay on the field again, why not have a backup like we thought we had in that 2018 season? If DeVito gets hurt, we can throw David Summers, Dylan Markowitz, Jacobian Morgan whoever does turn out to be the best of these three guys, throw one of them out there and have Dino Babers show some confidence in them. So Rex Culpepper is the QB1 on the depth chart going into this week. That is not a guarantee that he's going to start. It's just, it's not. It's not how the depth chart works. Uh, So I was going to go there, Ian. It just seemed, it seems like the way Dino's been presenting this year, he's not going to go with the freshman outright or David Summers outright. Would you I don't agree with think me there? He is, I don't think he is either. And and just to be clear, David Summers, as as much as I, I think it is true that he's the most highly touted recruit of all the freshman quarterbacks, he's not on the depth chart. It's um it's Dylan Markowitz and it's Jacoby and Morgan on the depth chart. Um and I, I would agree with you. I think to put a freshman out there, a true freshman out there to play quarterback is always a lot to ask for. It's a mental position. It's a complex position. You got to learn the offense. So do I think that Dino is going to at least initially trot out the guy who he knows knows the offense and who's been here for five years? I do. But more likely than not, if I'm taking bets, Ian, Rex Culpepper isn't the starter against Notre Dame last week of the season. I'd agree with you there. I really hope Dino doesn't get super aggressive with this idea and throw one of the true freshmen out there next week against Clemson. Oh man, I would feel so bad for either (laughs) Markowitz or Morgan if your introduction to college football is facing that defense. So let Culpepper take no way he'd do that. Let Culpepper take his licks against Clemson, please and thank you. But I, I completely agree with you, Gil. There's there's no way if Dino's truly looking towards the future of this team and it's I said this on a preview podcast with John Eads a couple days ago. It's it's year five now for Dino Babers, but it's it's time to look ahead to year six. If Dino's truly looking towards year six, one of those freshmen are going to be on the field. I personally think it's going to be Markowitz. I like the arm talent he has over Morgan. Markowitz also just looking at the offer sheet. He had an offer from Boise State, which is known to pump out, pump out some good quarterbacks. So I'm, I'm leaning towards Dylan Markowitz to be the starter, especially also because Syracuse has gone high volume with that deep passing game uh, under the direction of Sterling Gilbert. So that that's that's my guess, but I'm sure right now my guess is good as anyone's. Well, I favor Markowitz as well, and I, I don't know that much about Jacoby and Morgan. His offer sheet is, is not impressive. Jackson State. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so I'm not I'm not really I don't know much about him, but I do know that Dylan Markowitz has really good size. He's about six foot five, two hundred and fifteen pounds. He came up in a football hotbed right around Dallas, Texas, where, you know, quarterbacks are 
you know, they, they get pumped out like, like a it's conveyor like, belt out of that part of the country. It's like the Beacon Skiff Apple Orchard of quarterbacks. Yes. And he did really well in Texas. He was the fourth leading passer in the state, and he was second team all state. So I kind of, you know, I, there, there's some stuff going on there with Dylan Markowitz. I think perhaps uh, he could be a good option. And let's let's not forget that Eric Dungy came in in this situation as a freshman when the starting quarterback got injured as an unheralded guy and just surprised a lot of people. That can happen. It, it certainly could happen, but it seems like such a different situation because Dungy, that team was, it seemed like after Dungy got in, that team was on the upswing, and right now Syracuse is trending downwards in the worst possible way. So right now, let's let's focus back into this Saturday because obviously we've got a game kicking off pretty darn soon here in Syracuse. Let's let's focus back into this Saturday, Gil, with Rex Culpepper at the helm. I'm I'm expecting to see a lot of even well even more basic play calling. I think the play calling has been pretty drab. I I think most people would agree with me from Sterling Gilbert over the past couple of weeks, but I'm expecting to see the most basic of basic offenses from Syracuse this Saturday. Orange might be the new fast, but right now it's it's going to be the orange offense at probably a JV level. Well, let's also acknowledge that the orange has not been the new fast this season. No, no, it has not. And Bavers was asked about it, and he said, look, we don't have the depth to do it. So I'm guessing what that means is that he doesn't really have subs to keep everyone, you know, cardio-wise uh, um, to, to have an advantage over the defense, which I kind of get, but I also kind of don't, because isn't the idea that you leave everyone out there and the defense just gets more tired than the offense? It's not like you sub out your O-lineman. Well, so I don't... Go ahead, go ahead, finish up. Uh, no, you, you go ahead and interpret that for me, because I heard Dino Babers say that, and I was like, okay, I, I, I see what you're saying, but it's still not really making sense to me. I, th- I think Dino's taking into account the COVID offseason and how little time his players had to get into shape. Maybe that's why the offense isn't going at such a high tempo. Also, keep in mind, nobody's really proven on this Syracuse offense besides Taj Harris and Nikeem Johnson at the receiver spots, and the O-line has no depth. So many injuries over the past couple of weeks and b- even before the season started. Also, no Chris Blake. And it would have been really nice now that the NCAA just instituted that one-time free transfer rule to have Chris Blake on the Syracuse offensive line. Indeed. Indeed. Um, back to the play calling. Rex Culpepper, his, his, best, uh, his best asset is probably his legs. Now, he's not, this, he's not an unbelievable runner. He's not going to make a lot of guys miss. He's not going to lower the shoulder like Eric Dungy, but he's, vi- but he's quite mobile. I'd say just about as mobile as Tommy DeVito is. So now you're in an, an interesting position if you're the, the Syracuse coaching staff. You know that probably your best bet is to get creative with Rex Culpepper, do some read options, some designed runs, and just try to run the ball in creative ways that don't require as much you know, straightforward downhill run blocking, a little bit more trickery, some more option plays. But at the same time, if you're not, if you don't have faith in whoever's behind Rex Culpepper, well, now you got to protect him. So how 
you know, what do you expect to see there? And well, protection wise, the best, honestly, it doesn't matter if Syracuse can protect or not. The best option for a quarterback is to get the ball out fast. I was watching the Steelers Eagles game last weekend and Ben Roethlisberger was getting eaten up by that Eagles defensive line. So what they do, they threw quick slants. Literally every single third down was a quick slant or a drag route. I'd like to do Syracuse, see Syracuse do the same thing. It, it's not a very difficult read. It's one or two looks and run. And you just said Rex Culpepper has the legs to make a few plays in the run game or in the scramble game. So don't make it that difficult for Rex Culpepper, even though he knows the offense. We can get into all of that, but it's he's not he's not getting that much BT. So don't make it that difficult for him when he's facing a real, a real defense. Give him one or two reads and then just tell him, hey, you don't see it, take off and run. You don't need to do anything extra. Just don't make, don't have any big losses occur while you're at the helm. Sure. Well, I do think that Culpepper's decision-making is the one thing that has looked pretty sharp when he's come into the game. You know, I you see him getting rid of the ball. Uh, you don't see him getting sacked as often as Tommy DeVito. It's just the execution on the passes. It's just the accuracy. Uh, so, hey, I mean— at least there is that's one thing that he prop that he probably does better than Tommy DeVito is get rid of the ball quick. So he maybe will be able to take less hits than Tommy. Is that fair to say? I, I would really hope so, especially because as you said, there's not many people behind him that we feel much confidence in. I also really hope that this just calls on Sterling Gilbert to think a bit harder and come up with some innovative stuff to distract the defense, some Taj Harris jet sweeps. Sean Tucker in the passing game, tight end work, stuff like that, that'll also take the pressure off of Rex Culpepper getting a lot of his weapons involved. I hope we see that stuff. I just don't have a lot of faith in that just from from what we've seen. Syracuse and Liberty will kick off at noon. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Squirk 1260. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth. Don't go anywhere. We'll talk the defense. Down Andre Cisco next. We're back on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth here. Ian, let's uh, shift to the defense. We talked about Tommy DeVito, who is the most important player for Syracuse on offense. He's out for the year. Syracuse's most important player on defense. He's also out for the season. Andre Sisko. Can you believe that? Uh, we did a preseason piece on orangefizz.net. We rated the top five most important players for the season, and that's one and two right there. One and two, Andre Cisco. I think he's going to be a first round pick, but I I feel like everything about Cisco now is just beside the point. Syracuse has that's the two biggest blows of. It feels like it's two gut punches back to back. How how could anybody possibly see this coming in the span of a week, especially after? It seemed like a Cisco colliding with a receiver, such a minor thing. I remember you tweeted out that video. He wasn't on the field during warmups after the collision, but a collision during warmups and now an ACL tear or an ACL injury, or at least a leg injury. That's what it seems yeah. like. It's so confusing, but I guess that's just it, the luck Syracuse is having. It's, it's not vivid in my mind because I was in shock, but I really, I honestly feel I was one of the few people who actually saw this happen, Ian. 
uh, because I, I was in the dome preparing for the game and I looked up and I saw, you know, this collision and I was so kind of not, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's not that I wasn't focused, but I almost assumed I was just like, oh, two you players fathom collided. it. You, you just I, like, did you, I did you like not fathom, realize it at the time? I didn't realize it was Andre Cisco because my, mm -hmm. my first reaction, it's warmups, you know, they're, they're, they did, they do wear their numbers, but they're in their kind of sleeveless warmups. And my first thing was just, oh, two players collided. And then I realized, oh, this is the worst possible player who could have collided with with someone and then the the receiver was was at Hendrix and Cisco got up and was just immediately you could see he was distraught and he was shaking his head and he he limped all the way to the locker room and then it was just holds your breath hope he comes back out and you know he, he comes back out in street clothes and it's just god it's such a difficult way for this to end especially because Andre Cisco was so special to watch. And I'm just going to really miss him as this season comes to a close. And it seems like he really made such a great impact on all of his teammates too in the press conferences this week. Uh, Chris Elmore, Kingsley Jonathan, Ify Melifonwu all said that Cisco, even since his freshman year, was the guy that went into 6 a.m. practices at 5 a.m. and got his extra work and stayed late, watched extra film, lifted more weights than anybody else. And I'm sure that's the reason, or at least part of the reason, why these young DBs right now are playing so well because they have that influence of a preseason All-American who's worked hard enough to get to that level over them. And so that's why guys like Neil Nunn, guys like Robert Hanna, Cam Jonas, Garrett Williams are all performing at the level that they have been over these first couple of weeks because Cisco is the guy that leads that DB locker room. By all accounts, he's a great leader and he sets a great example. And another thing I witnessed at the end of last year uh, for for senior day, I was covering that game against Wake when Trill took the ball away and ran it back. Mm, yes. Um, while the seniors were walking and signing autographs for all the fans, Trill Williams, Andre Cisco, and Ify Melifonwu were having this powwow on the block S, and they were talking for twenty minutes. And I could only imagine. I asked Trill after the game. What were you three talking about? And he said, "It I can't tell you. It, you know, it's private. But that must have been a kumbaya meeting of all kumbaya meetings. <laughs> because I just feel like those three have this very, this, this great bond, but also this competitiveness. Like, we are the real deal. And we are going to show college football that this secondary is elite. And we all intend to play in the NFL. And... We're going to just take the bull by the horns and dominate. And that's what Syracuse has done since 2018 when Andre Sisco arrived in central New York. The Orange lead the nation in takeaways. That's the other thing. Ify Melifonwu, you mentioned that powwow, and it just makes so much sense now. Ify Melifonwu also said during that presser, it's not going to be the same without Sisco out there because I look to my right, I see Trill on the other side, play in corner. I look to my left, I see Cisco back there behind me. 
I think he said Dre, just even that colloquialism, those guys are tight. And you're right, Gil, they're all elite level players. Trill Williams this year looks like an NFL cornerback, at least in my opinion. Cisco's obviously going to be an NFL player. I think if he could slide in there too, obviously a later round pick, maybe even a UDFA, but a guy that has NFL potential. Losing one of them, especially because he's such of a lynch a linchpin playing this new position in the Syracuse defense. I, I can't I don't understand how Tony White can deal with this loss in a way that helps Syracuse going forward. Well, he's not gonna be replaceable at the same time, and we'll get to this in a moment, but Rob Hanna has played really, really well in the last two games. His stats actually kind of jump off the page more than any Syracuse defender, coincidentally. Uh, or I don't want to say coincidentally, but, you know, just that that's how it's been in the last two games. Um, so it, it's going to be really difficult. And I don't know. Let's see. We have a piece up on orangefizz.net about Cisco and his legacy, so you can check that out. Ian, you said he's going to be a first-round pick, so you don't think that the torn ACL will will get in the way of that? I really hope not, because his film speaks for itself. Does it not? His football IQ speaks for itself. Everything about Andre Sisco on the field and off the field speaks for itself. Injuries happen, but if Sisco can recover rehab well enough to where he can perform at a pro day or the NFL combine in March, April, whenever those may be, of course, COVID is still a thing and it might impact that whole process. But if Sisco comes back, healthy. Plenty of guys have done this before, come back from leg injuries and played their butts off in both college and pro football. I'd, I don't think Cisco is a guy that's going to be held down by any sort of injury and seeing the determination that he has. Also just watching his, his I guess, declaration video for the NFL draft, seeing that sort of stuff just, it, it strengthens my confidence in Andre Cisco's ability, and that's that's why I full fully believe he's going to be a first round pick. Yeah, players are dealing with torn ACLs pretty well these days, so I don't think yeah. I think it, it may hurt his his draft stock just because there's less data there, but you know it, it probably won't hurt his career, and that's ultimately what's most no. important, right? Um, this defense has not looked good in the last two games without Andre Sisco. No. But no. I don't know if but can you pin it? Do you pin it on the secondary? Is it really is it the yeah. secondary? No, it's it's really not so. the secondary. It's it's the run defense if we're being completely honest. Right. 275 yards allowed against Georgia Tech, 363 against the winless Duke Blue Devils. Um I mean what is there? I have no excuse for that. Jameer Gibbs is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Duke backs are good. I maybe I well, strain Deion as Jack- I say I, that. I, I strain as I say yeah. that. I don't. The Duke backs are not anywhere near the level of a of a Travis Etienne. Uh, I mean, these like these are guys that pretty much ran up the t- ran ran up the middle, ran off tackle. Nothing special. Nothing special but something that Syracuse could not stop. I like Deion Jackson. If we're going to talk about the quality of Duke backs, I think he's good. But Durant behind him, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how good he is. And he rushed for well over 100 yards and averaged, I believe, over six yards per carry. So, or five yards per carry, at least. 
So that's where the excuses kind of end. And the ACC is just a conference that happens to have a lot of good running backs. So yeah. this is not going yes. to uh, – yeah, I, I don't know. Is that – for some reason, I don't know why this is or how this can be explained, but I feel like that's the strongest position in the in the entire conference. It just might be. That's, dude, Khalil Herbert at Virginia Tech has been putting up some eye-boggling numbers as of late. Um, but le- let's talk about why the Syracuse defense is having so many issues. Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross here – on Fizz Radio in the score 1260, talking Syracuse, about to play Liberty in just under three hours now. Gil, it's really been the tackling, in my opinion. It's been two things. The tackling has been terrible at all three levels, and it's also been the front. The front looks lost, and whether it be because Tony White is calling stunts for some reason, John Eads pointed this out in an article on Orange Fizz, that Tony White called a pass rush stunt on first down. What? I'm, I'm very confused by something like that. And that's one of those things that leaves holes wide open in the middle of the field. Well, that's that's fascinating. And I, I don't, you know, there's, who, who knows? I'm sure that they saw that on film and maybe they'll reevaluate. But, you know, I agree that it's the tackling. I think anyone with eyes can see that. Oh, yes. Um, there's been effort issues. There have been times where, Players have assumed that the tackle is going to be made and the tackle is not made and suddenly the defense hasn't rallied to the ball. I mean, that's a huge no-no. That's a big problem. And on the interior, yeah, I don't think that Syracuse has gotten a lot of stops at the line of scrimmage. You look at McKinley Williams, Kingsley Jonathan, Josh Black, perhaps, for some of those struggles. Um, And then I guess you you can lump the linebackers in there as well. But also, when Duke tried to go to the outside and try to produce uh, runs after the catch with the wide receivers, the corners didn't tackle well uh, last week either. It was just one of those weeks where you could really question the the fight and the resolve out of the Syracuse defense, which you don't like to do, but when tackling is bad, that is often the problem. Well, it's either it's either the effort level or it's the fundamentals, and those exactly are two things we should not be questioning four or five weeks into the season, especially after a bye week. I, I completely forgot that Syracuse had a bye week when they were playing Duke last week. I thought they had just gone through the most rigorous week of their lives. It it made no sense to me why the performance was not at this level. And just the run defense, it, it needs to be fixed, and there's no good way to fix it off the top. The linebackers have to tackle better. I think Jeff Canton-Arcoot getting hurt and being in and out of that Duke game last weekend didn't help. Good call. I think he he if he can stay healthy, that's a big plus for Syracuse. Um, also, one other thing. I saw SU moving around Stephon Thompson, Steve Linton, putting those guys on the line of scrimmage. But Linton especially likes to rush with his hand, with, not with his hand on the ground. He likes to do it in a two-point stance, almost like a wide receiver trying to get off the line of scrimmage. You can't get leverage if you are trying to stop the run in that sort of pass rush style. You have to put your hand on the ground. You have to dig in there. That's the big weakness of the 3-3-5. You don't have an extra bully up front to plug those holes. Well, that's the major concern, I think, right off the bat is are you going to to get that initial push at the line of scrimmage and win in the trenches with only three down linemen? But I'm sure it's it's obviously something that Tony White has dealt with before. That's his that's his system. He knows how it how it can work. He knows how it might not work. 
and I'm sure it just comes down to 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 getting this All, thing figured only out. Only issue though, White was a secondary coach at ASU, and he he coached one game as defensive coordinator. So it might take a little getting used to this front seven thing for Tony White. Uh, I guess that that remains to be seen as the season progresses. Well, the run defense is going to get tested against Liberty, yeah. uh, for sure, because they have a good back. Uh, his name's Josh Mack. He is from Rochester, so he's a local guy, and he's averaging over six yards per carry this season for the Flames. And so is Malik Willis, dual-threat quarterback. Peyton Pickett, another dude they throw in there at times, but Mack and Pickett, both backs, are pretty physical dudes. They're It's kind of like what we saw from Jackson and Duran at Duke. Nothing special, right? They'll run through the tackles, they'll run off the tackle, but no exquisite abilities, no game-breaking speed, no, you know, stick your foot in the ground and staple your feet in the floor. They're just guys that are going to run through holes. So if Syracuse gives them holes, they'll take advantage of it. Let's get a little bit more in the weeds on Liberty after the break. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Don't go anywhere. We're back on Fizz Radio. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth with you here on the Score 1260. Uh, taking you to the top of the hour, and then Syracuse and Liberty will kick off at noon. This was circled in the beginning of the year as the easiest game on Syracuse's schedule, especially considering what happened last year. The Orange won 24-0 in, a, of course, a shutout. Um, and Liberty is a team that's only been in the FBS for two seasons now, yet they're 4-0, and the our friends in Vegas have decided to make Syracuse a three-point underdog, Ian. But why wouldn't you? Without a starting quarterback, without their best defensive player, it makes a little bit of sense. A Liberty team riding high, no, no great opponents on their schedule, but two good wins against a Western, Western Kentucky team that's easy to overlook, uh, with a former Maryland quarterback running the show down there, and then against FIU, which also has a pretty full power, pretty powerful offense in its own right. So a, a Liberty team that's proven it can win against mid-tier competition, and Syracuse, I don't want to say it, but they might be falling towards that level. Well, I wouldn't tout Liberty's strength of schedule. The, the four teams no, I, that they played are... I would I would certainly wouldn't tout them as amazing, but they're for opponents that Syracuse might 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 struggle with, I think Liberty's the the best that you could possibly pick. Okay. Well, what what really concerns you? You can look at I mean, I think most of their big names are on the offense. You have Malik Willis at quarterback. Um, you have, um, Josh, um, what's his last name? Mac, Josh, Mac, Josh, Mac, Josh, Mac. Yeah. What, what concerns you about this Liberty team? Well, it's gotta be Malik Willis and his dual threat ability. We haven't seen Syracuse play a true dual threat quarterback. I guess if you want to call Jamie Newman, a dual threat quarterback last year in that wake forest game, but he only played maybe two quarters max, probably less than two quarters. If I'm remembering correctly, the last true dual-threat quarterback Syracuse saw was Mikhail Cunningham, and that did not go that well. Uh, Malik Willis obviously doesn't have any sort of arm talent at the scale of Cunningham's, but 
he's he's a decent passer. 48 completions out of 80 this year at around seven and a half yards per per pass. Um, and the legs are the real story for Willis. 47 rushing attempts, 7.2 yards per carry, four touchdowns. I'm really concerned that Syracuse is going to struggle stopping him on third down situations. That's fair. There hasn't been that many examples of Syracuse going up against dual threat quarterbacks, I don't think. But just last week against Duke, it was a situation where you really knew, and even Georgia Tech, both those games, it was almost just like sell out on the run, Syracuse. That is the only way that Georgia Tech and Duke were moving the football, and they just couldn't do it. Uh, So I don't know how that's going to translate to a creative, you know, running quarterback who's going to get out of the pocket and put pressure on the linebackers. But one thing's for sure, if if you're looking at a, a run-dependent team, if Liberty is going to do it on the ground, that doesn't mean they can't move the ball against Syracuse because two weeks in a row now, the Orange have known exactly what's coming at them and haven't been able to stop it. And I was surprised Georgia Tech didn't go with more quarterback runs from Jeff Sims I mean, Sims did not look great in the passing game, but they didn't have him run it that much. Chase Bryce, he's obviously not a running quarterback, but when Duke needed it, they said, hey, run a read option, keep the ball if you want to. And he did. Bryce made smart decisions, and they worked. Even now, Syracuse is going to know that read option look, the dual threat quarterback, it's it's coming. There's no excuse not to know that Liberty possesses two threats out of the backfield on the ground. But I can think they what you, prepare for it? I think what you said at the beginning, though, is more the reason why Liberty is favored by three. Yes, they're 4-0. and They got a couple of top 25 votes for being 4-0, and and they've won their games handedly. But they've played teams that are a combined 1-11. and that is, that is the record of Liberty's teams that they've played. Uh, and I think it, it might be 1-12, actually, but it's something like that. So I don't read much into Liberty's record at all. I really think this is about Syracuse. And just not knowing what this team is going to be, what this team is going to look like. We'll, we'll get to it in the next seg- segment, so let's not spoil it now. But I will say, one of our Fizz Feedback col- polls is, who is Syracuse's best player on offense? That question is so difficult to answer, and the candidates are, frankly, a little bit concerning. That is where this underdog status against Liberty comes from, more than anything. And it's not a Liberty defense that's been anywhere impressive. Liberty's outgained its opponents in all four of its games. But as you said, Gil, it's not like any of the schools that they played had high caliber offenses. The, the Syracuse offense is not high caliber either. I I don't want to spoil the poll, but one of our candidates is Aaron Service, <laughs> who got worked a couple times last weekend by Chris Rumpf. Worked, worked. Just beat off the line yes. easy. I don't know where that regression is coming from, but it's it's not good. And the fact that that is a high-caliber player on Syracuse's offense is even worse. Last year, and Liberty has some decent edge rushers as well. Last year, that's kind of all we were talking about. And this season, it's funny because the sacks have still been really bad. Like, not good at all. It was 14 through two weeks. It was, I think DeVito got sacked five times and then Culpepper once last week. We aren't talking about it, but that has not been fixed yet. It it hasn't. It's one of those things where it's so confusing because it's inconsistent on even a drive-to-drive basis. 
Sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's terrible. Especially against Duke last week, the first two, three drives, the protection really seemed to hold up, especially on that first drive. DeVito had all day to throw. That's why he was able to place that dime to Harris on the sidelines. But in the second half, it just fell apart. It fell apart. Whether it was DeVito or Culpepper in the backfield, the protection was not there. I just don't think this offensive line can play a full four quarters of football. Yeah, it's funny. I thought it was the second quarter. In the first quarter, DeVito's decision-making looked sharp against Duke. He wasn't really um, double-pumping and and holding on to it too long. And I thought he didn't take any sacks. He didn't look rushed. He looked calm. He looked poised. The the drops were the big problem there. Yes, yes. But then second quarter from there on, suddenly DeVito looked rushed again, looked like he was starved for time. And he just doesn't, he has never handled that situation well. Of course, now it's going to be up to Culpepper to try to do a better job in that area. Uh, Let's get down to it, though, Ian. How do you see this game playing out? Well, let's see. Uh, On my prediction for the website, I I have Liberty winning. 28-20. 28 to 20. It's it's really it's a really tough pill to swallow, but I have Liberty winning this game. And here's why, Gil. So, we know Syracuse is going to struggle on the offensive end. A lot. A lot a lot a lot. There's just no there's no if ands or buts about it. There's no way around it. Syracuse is going to struggle mightily. And although I think the run defense performs much better this week, they have to or someone's going to call for Tony White's head. They just can't stop two running threats. They haven't been able to stop one running threat, one running back. Now the quarterback works in, and although Liberty doesn't have Antonio Gandy-Golden, they have enough talent on the outside to cause the Syracuse secondary just enough problems, especially if they're drawn in by play action. I, I really hate to say it, but I think Liberty wins this game, and they cover too. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I'm, I haven't written my prediction. You can check out our predictions. They come out every Friday on orangefizz.net. Um, I haven't written mine yet, but I believe I'm going to go with Syracuse. And Ian, this just popped into my head as you were talking. This reminds me of the Colgate basketball game last year. Can you think of why that would be? Uh, I... I... I remember that Colgate basketball game. I remember watching it, but no, explain to me your reasoning. Because Colgate is this mid-major team that doesn't face great strength of schedule, but they have a lot of players who are good, good for the competition. And Colgate was a team that people were like, oh, you've got to watch out. Colgate's pretty good this year. They're winning the Patriot League, which, which, yeah, they're great in the Patriot League. But Syracuse is a step up. It, it was a step up in that case. I know we're talking about basketball. It's going to be a step up here too. And I think that's the thing that people are are kind of looking the other way on, the, the step up in competition that Syracuse is compared to the teams that Liberty has faced. So I'm not really buying into the 4-0 hype. And I, I don't really think that the offense will have to put up that many points in order to win this game. So I know that I'll, I'll pick pretty low scoring. But I actually think that, a, you know, the Orange are going to figure out ways to get in the end zone, win field position, turn the ball over, get creative, maybe hit some home runs. And I think it's going to be enough because I don't think 
that the the step up in competition that Syracuse will be is being respected enough. Turnovers are certainly going to have to be key if Syracuse is going to win this game, especially to put the offense in good field position. Whether Andre Schmidt is hitting uh, field goals or not, it, it doesn't matter. The defense is going to have to do work. This is Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Fizz Feedback is next. It's almost time for us to say goodbye on Fizz Radio, but first, it's everyone's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback. I haven't looked at the polls, so Ian is going to let us know, and uh, I'll take my best guesses. All right, well, Gil, like we talked about off the bat, who should start at quarterback against Liberty? Rex Culpepper, Dylan Markowitz, Jacoby and Morgan, or, interesting candidate here, Taj Harris. <laughs> We decided on Rex Culpepper. By the way, all these polls up on at Orange Fizz where you can follow us on Twitter. I think Culpepper is the sensible choice in the in the present, but by the end of the season, I expect to see someone else. Yes, Culpepper garnered 48.9% of the vote. Markowitz coming in at second at almost 30%. Taj Harris actually in third with a surprising 16. Hmm, Moving on to number two. Yeah, who is Syracuse's best player on offense? We talked about this earlier. Aaron Service, who I I did not think so, Taj Harris, Sean Tucker, or someone else? I'll go with Taj, although I think Sean Tucker is a very good player. Taj did get the majority of the vote at 66.1%. Sean Tucker came in with a quarter of the vote in second, and then Aaron Service got 5.4%, and the other got 3.6%. Last question, probably the most important one, for all you sports bettors out there, the point spread. Liberty favored by three. Gil, are you taking Syracuse to cover or the Flames? SU plus three. Syracuse got, ooh, won by a close one. 50.9% of the vote goes to the Orange. Orange Nation holding strong the Flames, though. Keeping it close here, neck and neck race on this point spread. Yeah, that's what Vegas wants. You want the even money on both sides. You see, they know what's going on. That'll do it for us on Fizz Radio. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Gil Gross with Ian Unsworth. Make sure you check out our stuff on orangefizz.net, and we will see you next time.